0: There was a time in the olden days when if you watched a television show, you watched it one episode at a time. Usually, one episode per week. Sometimes it took longer than a week. You caught one every week. And during this time, when the dinosaurs roamed the earth, if you wanted to watch the television show, you had to be home on the night that it came on, at the time that it came on. And if you missed it, You didn't know what happened. You had to ask somebody what happened, or you had to wait for the summer when the reruns came back around. Right? You made a mental note. I missed that one. When the reruns are on in the summer, I'm going to catch that one. That's the way it worked. You had to be at a specific time and a specific day in order to see the next episode. Now, of course, you can watch a whole uh, season of episodes in one sitting. You can watch multiple seasons. Some of you have done that. You have watched two, three, seven seasons of something in almost one sitting, one right after the other, episode after episode. And I know that some of you, you, you like to do this. Like marathon watching is your, your thing. Most of us, we have jobs, right? we have responsibilities. We like to take a shower every once in a while. So at some point, it gets broken up. Even if you're trying to watch entire series, at some point, it gets broken up. Now, at the end of the episode, wherever you pause, wherever you stop, at the end of a season, you're typically left with the question, what happens next? What happens now to this character? What happens to that? Where's the storyline going? What happens to the villain? Wherever you stop in the process of watching seasons or episodes, you have that question. What happens now? And Even if you binge watch whole seasons, often now you have to wait a year or more before the next season comes out. So once you get to the end of the internet uh, with all of your streaming, you, you know it's going to be a year, year and a half. That's one of the frustrating things about marathon watching is show drops, you watch all 10 episodes over a weekend, and then you realize it's going to be two years before I find out what, what happens next. What am I going to do with all my free time? <laughs> you're going to stream something else. That's what you're going to do with all your free time. You're just going to find something else. To watch, yeah. Episodes ending, seasons ending, those pauses that we take leave us with the question, what happens now? What happens next? Uh, Jacob, the patriarch, one of the patriarchs of our faith, moves his uh, extended family to Egypt. Uh, their ancestors are in Egypt for 400 years. And uh, at the end of those 400 years, God sends Moses to be the leader. He goes to Pharaoh plagues come. Eventually, they leave Egypt with his staff. He parts the Red Sea. They walk across on dry land. They are now out of Egypt, and the question becomes, what do we do now? All we've known is Egypt. All we've known is being enslaved. Who are we now? What are we going to become now? They're not the only ones that ask these questions, right? All throughout our lives, we come up to these questions because episodes of our life come to an end, don't they? Transitions happen. We go from one season to another season, and sometimes as we're moving into a new season, we have that question, what, who am I now? We're just coming out of graduation season, right? Wonderful time uh, for students, and the first of June... Uh, Seniors who just graduated are all, Yay, I don't ever have to go back to high school again. Yay, it's over. I'm done. That part of my life, it's over. But for most of graduating seniors, not all, but I think for most of us, we had that wonderful celebration the 1st of June, and somewhere around the middle of July, end of July, it occurred to us that life was never going to be the same again. And maybe we didn't phrase it in this way, but... A lot of recent graduates have that panic moment of, well, who am I now? Who are my friends now? Who are going to be my friends in this next? So what is it going to be like? I don't know what the next stage is going to be like. On the other end, parents go through that same sort of uh, panic as well, right? As your kids begin to graduate, when you started a family, it was all addition, We had one kid, then we had two kids, then we had three kids, and then you get to the graduation end and it becomes subtraction. There are three kids in the house, there are two kids in the house, there's one kid in the house. It's just us. What are we going to do with ourselves? Do we even like each other? You go through that phase of who am I now? What am I now? What am I going to do? In this next phase, uh, the Israelites find themselves in a little bit of that phase of life. Who are we? Who are we going to be? What is going to be next? Now, here's the, the comforting part. God never asks those questions. God never gets to an end of the, one of the episodes of our life and says, Boy, I wonder what's going to happen next. I have no idea where this is going to go. My whole plan was just to get them out of Egypt. I don't really know what to do with them now. Like God has never said that. God's never looked at your kids and said, I just wanted him to graduate from high school. But you said that, right? As parents, I know because I said that. If we could just get this one out of high school, it's going to be great. God never says, I just wanted them to get out of high school, and I'm not really sure what to do with them now. God always knows what the next episode is. God always has plans and purposes for the things that are coming next. And for the people of God at Mount Sinai, which is where they end up, God has a next episode plan. As a matter of fact, he had revealed some of that already to Moses. God appears to Moses in a burning bush, speaks out of the burning bush, and this was Moses calling to go be the leader who would lead them out of Egypt. But in that discussion, God says up front, you're going to lead them out and you're going to come right back to this mountain, this mountain where God was speaking to him out of the burning bush. It's called Mount Horeb. Sometimes it's called the Mountain of God. We know it primarily as Mount Sinai. Moses is standing there talking to God in a burning bush, and God says, this is what I want you to do. Go get them. You're going to bring them back right here. And that is exactly what happens. This is Exodus chapter 19. I'm going to begin in verse 1, second book of the Bible, if you want to follow along in your copy. Exodus chapter 19, verse 1. On the first day of the third month, after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountains. They leave Egypt. Cross the Red Sea. Three months later, they're right where God said they were going to be. This is where the next episode would begin. Now, for most of us, when we hear Mount Sinai, we associate that with the Ten Commandments. And there's a, a tendency to think they all got there. Moses went up and got the tablets and came back down the end. The reality is they camped at Mount Sinai for a year. They're in this place for a year, and Moses doesn't make one trip up the mountain. He makes seven trips up and down the mountain. Got his steps in, did some cardio, closed all of his rings, up and down. Seven times he's up and down the mountain. And yes, the Ten Commandments is a part of that, but there was a bigger purpose In what God was doing out Mount Sinai. This is what it was. The purpose of Mount Sinai was for God to speak and his people to listen. It's not more complicated than that. He brought them out to a quiet place, a place without distraction, so he could speak to them, so that he could inform them, so that he could reshape them. He needed them to stay in one place place when you find yourself in this what's next period in this transition period it's a time to listen for what God's trying to say God is always teaching in the moments of transition God is always teaching in the moments of what's next and we want to kind of rush through that we we, want to try to get through it as fast as we can it's just that God's not usually moving quickly in these seasons of our lives he wants us to be still He wants us to be quiet. God also needed to get Egypt out of his people. The people were out of Egypt. The problem was Egypt wasn't completely out of them. It's all they had ever known. This generation had only known life in Egypt. No other life. Their parents had only known life in Egypt. Egypt was deep in them and God needed a period of time where he could not just get them out of Egypt, but that he could get Egypt out of them. You, you know that this is the people that will often say, can't we just go back to Egypt? Can't we just go back? The food was great. Everything was wonderful. They have this misperception of what life was like. And the reason was there was a lot of Egypt still in them. And God brings them out to a desolate place, a quiet place, so they'll listen Damn, free of distractions. God does that to us sometimes. God gets us in a place in life where He kind of removes some distractions. There's no place for us to go. There's no immediate need. Think think about the Israelites. They were out of Egypt, but not in the promised land yet. When they got to the promised land, there were going to be projects. There's going to be work to do. There will be battles to fight. They would need to build homes. They would need to plant crops. They would have a focus. They would have something to do when they got in the promised land, but they weren't ready to get to the promised land yet, and so God takes them to a place where they can just listen. I just need you to listen. Here's a picture of what that region looked like. We don't know specifically exactly where it was, but it was somewhere in this region. No Wi-Fi there, right? No 5G, no streaming services brings his people to a place where they can just be still. I just need you to listen. I need to reshape some things about your heart. I need to retrain some of your ways of thinking. I need to make you into a new people, not just get you out of the past. Sometimes we, not just the people, sometimes we're in a rush to get to the next thing. When God is trying to teach us something before we get there, we're not ready for the next thing yet. God's people weren't ready for the next thing yet. He needed them to be still, He needed them to listen so He could prepare them as a people for what's coming next. We're not good at that. Like our memory of Mount Sinai, we want to run up the mountain, get the message, run back down, and move on. Can we do this quick? God, can you send me a PDF? Can we make this happen so I can get to the next thing? And God rarely works that way in Scripture or in our lives. He brings them to Mount Sinai and says, I just need you to hang here. Because I've got to do some things in you before we move forward. Because of our physical location, if you've been here for a while, you know that we often play on the idea of us being in between. When we had our grand opening for this building in the fall of 2017, we kind of got moved in and figured some things out, and then we had a community-wide grand opening, and we sent mailers out and had a bunch of people come for that. The message series for our grand opening of this building was called The Space in Between. And we kind of walked through this idea of How do we handle those? I've left here. I'm not there yet. I don't even know what the next there is. What do we do in those seasons? This is what we find at Mount Sinai. We don't like the land in between. We don't like the transitions. We don't like the slow. We don't like the waiting. But this is where God instructs our hearts. This is where God teaches us something. This is where God prepares us for what he's about to do because here's the truth. God didn't just free his people from their old life. He taught them how to live a new life. He wasn't just interested in freeing them from their old life. He's trying to teach them how to live a new life. So he gives some general instructions at the beginning. I want you to be holy. I want you to be set apart. He talks about their worship. This is what the tabernacle is going to be like. This is who the priests are going to be. These are the offerings you're supposed to give. This is what worship is going to look like. He talks about civic responsibility and social responsibility. He talks about how they're going to interact in their families because he, he wasn't just interested in freeing them from the old. He wanted to give them something new, and they had to change to be ready. For that, In your life, God's goal is not just to bring you out of the old. He wants to bring you into something new. God's goal isn't just to release you from everything that held you captive before. His goal is to teach you how to live in freedom going forward. He's not just getting you out. He's trying to bring you in. He's not rescuing you out. He's taking you toward something new. New And again, we always want to rush this process. We always want to keep moving. But God doesn't just want to free you from the past. He wants to take you to something new. Now, it's important, just briefly, it's important to remember the order. God doesn't give His law. God doesn't give His teaching and then say to His people, this is how you'll be free. If you do this, then you will earn your freedom. You will earn your salvation. No, God's already freed them. God, by His power, by His miracles, God, out of His grace and mercy, had freed them out of the old. He had freed them out of Egypt. But then when they are freed by God, God says to them, this is how you live free. This is what it looks like to remain free, to be completely free, to not go back into bondage. I brought you out. You didn't do that. It wasn't your effort or your work. I worked the miracle of your freedom. Now I'm going to tell you how to live in freedom. Paul does this over in the Old Testament. Paul says in multiple places, look, you are free in Christ. Christ has set you free. You are free indeed. But Paul doesn't follow this message of freedom with a message that then says, so just do whatever you want. doesn't matter. You are, you are free from your past. Live however you want. It doesn't matter. Paul doesn't do that. Paul says, you have been freed because of Christ. Now, this is what it looks like to live in freedom. This is how you keep from going back to bondage. This is how you keep from going back to the old way. You have been freed. Live like you're free. Walk in the principles and the spirit of God. Walk in the commands of God don't let your old life draw you back into the bondage you were once in. This is a struggle that some people face. You know the message of Christ. Maybe you've responded to the message of Christ, but there is that pull of Egypt in you. There is that pull of bondage in you, and God loves you enough that he doesn't just set you free. He teaches you how to live in freedom. He teaches you how to experience abundant life, joyful life, purposeful life. You see, God not only set you free from the past, but he set you free for a future. He didn't just set you free from your past. He set you free for a future, for something that God is trying to do in your life. He has a next episode for you. And maybe you don't know what it is yet. Maybe you don't see it yet. But God has a next episode for you your life. Mount Sinai is so pivotal in the Old Testament because it's where we see this reality. It's where we see it in its completed form. God systematically says, this is the way I want my people to live. You don't know any of this because you've been in Egypt. This is how I want you to live. In previous stories, in previous characters, we've, we've seen principles We've seen some of God's commands. We've seen some of God's desires. But it's at Mount Sinai that God says, here's everything. The rest of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then a review in Deuteronomy. God gives his people his instructions for living in freedom. Here they are. And some of you have tried to read through the Bible before, and you got way bogged down in this section, right? You hit Leviticus, and it was over. It was done about middle of February. You come to Leviticus, you're like, I'm out, I can't get through this. God downloads all of this detail, and some of it's a little confusing, and some of it's a little weird when we go back and read it right now. But this was God's way of saying to his people, for a lot of different purposes, we're not going to get into that today, but this was God's way of saying, you're free, I want you to stay free. I don't want you you to be sucked back into your old way of living. I want you to be free. And at the end of all, if I could encapsulate Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, I would say it this way. God's instructions are all-encompassing. That's that's what those books teach us. God's instructions are all-encompassing, not compartmentalized. It's not just for one area of your life. God wants you redeemed, changed, made new in every area of your life. Not just a few, as as Moses makes these trips up and down. Yes, he gets the Ten Commandments, and the Ten Commandments are are, are kind of a picture of everything else he teaches in the rest of his law. Here's what we find in the, the Ten Commandments. The first four commandments deal with our relationship to God. That's one part of our spiritual journey. The first four commandments deal with our relationship to God. Uh, They are, have no other gods before me. Don't make idols. Don't misuse God's name. Keep the Sabbath holy. First four commandments, my relationship to God. The fifth commandment deals with our relationship to family. Now, it doesn't deal with every detail of our relationship to family. God's going to give more detail after the Ten Commandments, but it deals with the honor of your father and mother. So my faith... It's not just my relationship to God, it's also how I interact with my family. And then the last five commandments deal with our relationship to others, those outside of my family. First four, my relationship to God. Fifth commandment, my relationship to my family. Last five, my responsibility to society, to relationships outside of my family. So uh, God tells us don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal. don't give false testimony, don't covet. Your relationship in society matters. Your civic responsibility matters. And throughout Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, God just expounds on all of that. God gives details to all of that. He deals with how we worship, what the tabernacle is going to be like, what sacrifices are going to be like. He deals with the role of the priest what their responsibilities are, what they're supposed to dress, and what all of that means. So he deals with our, our relationship to God, but then he, then he deals with our relationship in society, how we're to treat one another, how we're to treat the foreigner, how we're, we're to treat the poor, uh, the fact that we're to defend the weak. He has a section on what if somebody is accused of a crime and they say they're innocent. What do you do with that? How do you respond to that? How we're supposed to manage property? What lending money is supposed to look like within God's people? All of these very detailed issues that God's people would face at some point. And it was God's way of saying freedom in God, walking with God, changes the way you look at everything. You you can't exclude God from any part of your life. You can't decide, well, this is the religious part of my life. This is the non-religious part of my life. This is the part that I ask God about. This is the part that I take care of everything by myself. The the law shows us that God's desire for us is that every part of our lives, every way that we think, every perspective that we hold, every relationship we engage in matters Spiritually, it's not how we become a follower of God, it's not how we earn our salvation, it's how we live because we've been set free. Paul again says this same thing in a much more concise way in Romans chapter 12. Paul writes, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Offer offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That word bodies means your complete person, your whole self, everything about you. What does worship look like? What what does walking with God look like? It looks like everything, everything. Not a few things, and then I keep the rest. Not most things, and I have a couple of things that I, I don't bring God into. Paul Mount Sinai teach us you don't get to section off your life. Coming into freedom, following God, walking with God means that everything's changed. Everything is surrendered to him. Everything is about him and that and that's kind of the big message of Mount Sinai. The big message of Mount Sinai is when we encounter the great, powerful, holy God, we should be changed. We should be changed. And that change should impact everything we say and do and think. When we encounter the great and powerful and holy God, we should be changed. And that change should affect everything within us. The Israelites had encountered a great and powerful God. They had seen Him wipe out uh, much of Egypt with the plagues. They had seen him do battle with the false gods of the Egyptians. They they had seen him part the Red Sea and they walked through on dry ground. There was one point where God comes down the mountain in a cloud with thunder and lightning and and it's so powerful that the Israelites say to Moses, hey, you go up the mountain and talk to him. We don't want him to come down and talk to us. It's too much. It's too much. They had encountered the powerful God. On Moses' first trip up the mountain, <clears throat> he has a conversation with God, and, and, and God says right from the start, if my people will obey me, if my, if my people will do what I'm going to ask them to do, they'll be my treasured possession. only any other way to say Life is going to go well for them. They're going to have a peace. They're going to have a joy. They're going to have a a purpose. They're going to be God's treasured possession. So Moses comes back down the mountain, and he conveys this to all of the Israelites. This is what God says. If we obey him, we will be his treasured possession. This is Exodus 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses... Oops, sorry, uh, Exodus 19... So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together. So this is their response to what God said. We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. Moses, go tell them if they'll obey, they'll be my treasure of possession. Moses come down. If we obey, we'll be God's treasure of possession. All the people, we will obey everything God says. Anybody know how that plays out? <clears throat> Not well. Not well. Moses goes back up the mountain. He spends 40 days there this time. 40 days of God giving him the law. And Exodus 32 tells us, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, I think it's interesting how much respect Moses gets at this point. Um, he's also he, he's only uh, called down plagues on Egypt led the nation uh, through a parted Red Sea on dry ground, got them to the mountain, gone up and talked to God, and all of a sudden he is this fellow Moses. If any of you are in leadership, this is a wonderful picture of what leadership is like. Part all the Red Seas you want. Call down all the plagues that you want. Lead as well as you want. There will be a day you will just be this fellow. In the eyes of some, there will be a day, you are just this fellow. After all he has done, as for this fellow Moses, who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. We don't know and we don't care. Let's be honest. We don't know and we don't care. And we're tired of waiting. So let's do something. Let's take matters into our own hands. And so they make a golden calf to be their God. Again, these are the same people that watched God defeat all of the false gods of Egypt three months ago. Every false god that Egypt had got defeated in the plagues. They watched this happen. They saw God come down in a cloud with thunder and lightning and were so afraid they didn't want God to speak to them because he was so powerful. These are the same people. People who decided taking too long, taking too long, 40 days, taking too long. We we gotta take matters into our own hands, which that's what we do sometimes. That's what we do. I'm gonna take charge. Obviously, I can't trust God with this. I'm gonna have to take charge, as I remind you often, this is my lens for interpreting the characters of the Old Testament. The Old Testament isn't given to us to show us how they were. It's given to us to show us how we are. It's really easy to criticize a group of people who build a golden calf and worship it. It's really easy to do that. The story is not in the Bible so that we can criticize them. The story is in the Bible so that we could take a look at ourselves. And how many times do we get tired of waiting on God? And how many times did we decide to rush ahead in front of God? How many times, you don't have a golden calf. You wouldn't make a golden calf, but you would put other things ahead of God. I know it's a big picture. I know it's a really big illustration. I know it's, it's a little bit of a weird symbolism. You would never do exactly this, but you and I would do exactly this. No golden calf, but lots of other things that we would put In front of God. And here's the the thing. Before Moses gets back down the mountain with the commandments, the people have already broken the first three. He hasn't even delivered the tablets yet. He hasn't even come down and said, Here they are. Before he even gets down the mountain with the Ten Commandments, they're making a 70. Like they're on the edge of failing this test. Like they're starting out with a C minus. Some of you relate to that from when you were in school. Like you know, going in, I got very little margin here. I know nothing on this first page. I hope I know something on the second page. Like you've been there. This is the Israelites from the start. Before they even get the test, they're making a seventy. They've already disobeyed God in the first three commandments. But here's the flip side of that reality before the people had broken the first three commandments God had already provided a sacrifice for when they sinned the golden calf gets built in chapter 32 that's when we're told about it chapter 32 is the story of the golden calf in chapter 29 of Exodus God tells Moses what would be necessary when his people sin something would have to die Blood would have to be spilled. Their sins could be... Before they ever broke the first three commandments, God was already preparing a way for them to be forgiven. Before you ever sinned, before, ever you, before you ever broke the first three commandments or the first seven commandments or all ten, before you went ten for ten on the commandments, God had already provided a way for your forgiveness, my forgiveness. And it wasn't a lamb, and it wasn't a ram. It was his son. God looked through His God knew what our hearts would do. God knew we would stand at the bottom of the mountain, and we would say, whatever you say, God, I'll obey, and then we wouldn't do it. And so before he gave us the commandments, he planned to send a sacrifice. And his name is Jesus. And yes, both of these things are true. That when he sets us free, he wants us to live in that freedom. He wants us to live under his principles. He wants us to live according to his commands. But he also knows there's going to be days you won't do it and I won't do it. There will be times that we struggle not to run back to Egypt and run back to bondage. And so before God ever told us what we were supposed to do, he gave His Son for us. He gave a sacrifice for us. He died for us. So that any sin, any commandment you have ever broken, any commandment you will ever break, gets forgiven in the person of Jesus forever and ever and ever. And if you meet that God, if you have an encounter with that God it should change everything about you. Like who wouldn't want to surrender their life to such a gracious, merciful God? Who would hold anything back from such a gracious, merciful God? He did that for you. He did that for us so that we could be in relationship with Him, so that we could know God through Jesus because we would fail at the law. See, Jesus came, and he didn't fail at the law, the Bible says. He was perfect. He was perfect and sinless, and in our place, died because we're all lawbreakers. We're all commandment breakers. But through Christ, your sin was taken care of before the first time you sinned. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for our sacrifice. Forgive us, God, that we want to run back to Egypt. We want to run back to bondage. Forgive us that we don't always live in the freedom that you have given us. But thank you that before we even had a chance to break a commandment, a sacrifice had come. Jesus had come. And our only response is to turn to him by faith and commit our lives to him. We can't earn any of it. We can't keep enough commands. We, we can't be good enough. We can just receive it and then live in that freedom. God, I pray that you would remind us, you would remind us of what Christ has done for us, how great his love is for us, How overwhelming his mercy is for us. And that we would live in that freedom. For today and forever and forever and forever we would walk in the freedom of Christ. I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. We just stand. We're going to sing a song just to celebrate what Christ has done in us. Just stand. Let's worship together.